everybody. Welcome to MHTV. We're really pleased to be uh, talking to the fantastic Mike and Grant tonight. And what we're going to be looking at is empathy as an intervention. So before we get started, I'll hand you to um, Vanessa and she can tell you how you can join in on social media. Thank you, Nikki. Hello, everyone. Um, if you want to join us on Facebook tonight, then um, that would be great. Um, if you head over to um, Facebook Live, Unite MHNA, Facebook page, like the page if you haven't already, and you should see the live feed there. We'd love you to ask any questions, comments. Um, I'll be looking at those as we as we go through the episode and um, adding adding them into the discussion. Um, if you prefer Twitter, just follow MHTV hashtag, and the conversation will be on there. And again, you can ask any questions, and we'll bring them into the episode. I'll hand you back to Nikki. Fantastic. All right, so let's come to our guests to introduce themselves. Mike, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, uh, I'm Mike Ramsey. I've been a nurse for 37 years as of last Saturday, um, uh, and a mental health nurse for uh, the, the greater bulk of those. Um, I did do my general nurse training first. Um, I've been an academic for 17 years. Um, I trained in the much more traditional way in the old modular training, um, and uh, I come at uh, uh, empathy as uh, something that I was inspired by one particular lecture, um, lecturer back in uh, back in those days, um, and uh, uh, my doctoral thesis was uh, around compassion in nursing and social work, which obviously touched on empathy on the way through. So that's that's where I come at this topic from. Fantastic. And Grant, tell us about hey, yourself. Thanks, Nikki. My name is Grant King. I'm a lecturer in mental health nursing and I'm the academic lead for learning disability. And I've had the pleasure of working with Mike for the last eight years at the University of Dundee. Uh, prior to that, I had, a, a, in some ways, a rather unusual um, career. I was a mental health nurse. My specialty is CAM, so children, and particularly children with developmental disorders and comorbid mental health issues are, is my clinical specialty. But I also took some time um, in my career to focus on spiritual care um, and worked as a spiritual care advisor for mental health services up in the NHS Tay side. And that's one of the reasons, like Mike, I've come to really be really focused on sort of values and particularly empathy because mm. lots of my work was rooted very much in sort of relational intervention. Um, I'll come back in a wee bit more detail about that, but yeah. really lots of my work has been focused on who we are and how we are with people and how it affects them. And uh, Mike and I for many years have enjoyed in our offices when in real life we could actually see each other and speak to each other, spent many a time kind of thinking fairly deeply about compassion and empathy and the role it's played in our lives personally, uh, clinically and academically. Mm. Maybe a good place to start then would be to sort of nail down what we mean by empathy. Either of you want to come back to me on that? Yeah, well, so, so one of the things that, you know, when we, when we look at empathy, um, and we hear lots of kind of rhetoric around the idea of, uh, you know, seeing through another's eyes, which was the name of a project I'll, I'll talk about later that was involved in, or understanding someone's feelings or knowing how someone feels. But, but, but the reality, that's just a conceptual definition from, a, from an, an application from a clinical point of view. We're never going to really understand how anyone feels. In fact, I've often said to my, my, my students, if in practice in your career you ever say to someone, I really understand how you feel, I'm going to magically appear and kick you because we'll just never really we don't teach telepathy we don't we'll never really know how someone feels because it's always about sort of subjective interpretation and in the interaction so what we wanted to do is look at it from a much more kind of applied perspective what does it really mean 
And, and where we're kind of circling just now is around, it's about that sincere desire to understand. That's really where it's happening, what you bring to someone. And I'll re- reference a lot of Carol Rogers' work, I guess, um, is about what you bring. And that is that sincerity and that real desire to understand that for us is the sort of clinical application of empathy. Mm. Did you want to add to that, Mike? The what yeah. is empathy? What do we mean by that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of empathy, um, I see it as being uh, an activity or a, a, a way of being with someone that involves a lot of emotional labour. I think you have to work hard uh, to mm. be empathic um, with with another person and um, that emotional labour uh, takes practice. So I think it's a, I think it's a skill set and a value set that you need to you need to work at to become to become mm. proficient at. Um, and in terms of its linkage with compassion, I see them as very very separate. Just yesterday in class, had a very good question about um, are they not are they not one and the same in some kind of way? And so we mm. teased that out in the class. The class wasn't particularly about that; it was about values generally. But we teased that out in the class. And I see them as being uh, overlapping, as linked. Uh, of course, the I think the biggest difference between empathy and compassion for me is that empathy is not solely concerned with distress. You can sense mm. someone else's joy um, or their passion for a for, for, for uh, something like their faith or for their political belief, for example. So, uh, whereas compassion, I think, is always concerned with um, alleviating distress in the other. But as mental health nurses, obviously, we come at empathy usually at a point of trying to be with someone who is in emotional distress and so but i think there is that that, that very the very marked difference uh, between uh, empathy and compassion that compassion is always really about 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 distress about alleviating mm. distress mm. And, and suppose you do like you feel for someone you feel with somebody how does how do you turn that um sort of emotional connection that link into um, practical help for somebody how, how would you see that going um, I, I think sometimes um, conveying um, empathic understanding with another person is itself therapeutic. Mm. Uh, I, I think the fact that someone can be heard and, and often for the first time um, can probably hear their own uh, experience reflected back to them um, is of itself therapeutic for people. I did read a paper last week, a medical paper actually about empathy and saying that um, leaving, leaving a situation as empathic understanding may be, may, may be an arena for distress for the individual and the, the, the doctor in this case has to go on and do something else. That's a point of contention arguably, but it's also maybe a point of accuracy. Um, but em- often people who are in, a, in psychological distress um, they've not been able to unravel or unpack their thinking in this way. And to have someone else um, uh, be with them and convey something back that is really meaningful mm-hmm. and accurate, um, maybe itself uh, a therapeutic intervention. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a phrase, Mike and I, Nikki, have taught counselling skills together for a number of years. And, and lots of our discussion has been based on that sort of organic experience in the classroom. And um, we, you know, us learning as we teach. You know, which I think is a really yeah. powerful model. And there, there's there's a there's a phrase, you know, one of the, one of the kind of terms that we talk about is to pay attention. And you know, to pay attention sounds like well, it's common sense, you know. And one one of the things we kind of sort of invite students to think about in class is what what both of those words mean, because too often the word attention gets too much attention, but the word pay is really interesting as you start to deconstruct it, because pay is about cost. 
sacrifice. It's about reciprocity to give to take. And so we, we start to ask students, what is the payment when you're paying attention? And it is about that presence. It's about the journey of, and, and, and one of the other kind of sort of values that I like to tease out a lot is about the idea of non-judgmentalism. I'm not a big fan of that phrase. Again, like empathy, I, I see the concept and its value, but I don't believe as human beings it's actually an accessible plateau to exist upon. We make judgments. We're built to make judgments. Mm. So something about the idea of acceptance rather than non-judgmentalism is a good value for us. So the payment is about self-awareness, where you mm. recognise how you see people, how you might judge them, and then how you accept them. So as Mike said, mm. you know, this is very much about the emotional labour, and it's a high-level cognitive mm. activity mm. to be with someone, to want to be there, to mm. want to understand their world from a place of compassion. So, so practically, you know, the whole idea of the investment of emotional labour requires a lot of supportive mechanisms around practice. It requires time, it requires space, it requires mm. people valuing it. As you know, we, we all know as mental health nurses, this great stereotype about um, other fields perhaps looking at us and thinking, you know, that whole, all you do is sit around, drink coffee and talk to people. I'm at a point now where I say, absolutely right. Because that's a profound, powerful existential experience to be with someone and to help them feel heard perhaps mm. possibly for the first time in their life. Mm. You know? mm. Definitely, yeah. Mm. So you talked a little bit about the kind of emotional labour. Do you think that we're set up to support people to do that? Because when I think about services, particularly kind of inpatient services, the kind of task orientation, the busyness, I wonder if maybe empathy is something that's a little bit under threat sometimes. I, I would agree with that. So for a number of years, I taught a CPD course on being a reflective practitioner. Mm. And one of the things I did was I shared the decades old evidence that we have where having a regular, structured opportunity to reflect on practice is incredibly profound and powerful across a whole range of kind of metrics, whether it's morale, absence, but for us, it's actually about engagement and attendance. So, uh, you know, if, if I were, uh, you know, the, the, the minister for, uh, you know, responsible for, for healthcare, whether in the UK or in Scotland, indeed, one of the first things I would do is make supervision a, a mandatory part of clinical practice that you would not be allowed to practice unless you had recorded regular appropriate supervision, because that's for me is the space where we find the energy and the opportunity to um, empower ourselves when we're back in practice. If you know that that space is coming, I think, regularly, mm -hmm. that will very much help us. So from a practical standpoint, if we can give people that space in Scotland, values-based reflective practices, very popular through the departments of spiritual care, both group and individual. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be a real um, change agent if we could invest in that and recognise mm -hmm. that's a place where um, the empathic endeavours could be mm. reinforced and recharged. Mm. Did you want to come in at all, Mike? Yeah. Um, in my in my own in the literature review that I undertook, um, Doyle and others, twenty fourteen, to get academic on ourselves, um, they uh, they 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 talked about restating or re-emphasising the place or um, reinstilling or reinstalling. Uh, empathy into undergraduate uh, nursing curricula, not just mental health nursing curricula, across nursing curricula. 
Um, and I remember when I read that, that I thought that was a bit strange in some respects. I never thought it had gone. But then I'm involved in I'm involved in the delivery of it, and I'm involved in the delivery of it to mental health nurses primarily, not exclusively, mm-hmm. primarily. And, and so obviously um, their studies taken a wider sweep at the, at the issue, and it was a post-Francis inquiry sweep mm. um, at the concept of empathy um, in undergraduate curricula. So that would suggest that certainly um, commentators were um, were worried or, um, or had uncovered uh, perhaps a trend um, that uh, empathy was under threat. Also in my study, because I, I, I looked at social workers, um, mm. The social work literature is full of um, issues around empathy, and particularly, I thought, interestingly, from a semantic point of view, empathy as a cause of compassion fatigue, which um, is a a bit of a conceptual um, mismatch, it would seem, uh, uh, certainly at least on a semantic, if not on a conceptual level. And but the other thing is that, that, that was very prominent in the social work literature around empathy and compassion was a, a context of a railing against neoliberal managerialism uh, within mm. the profession that they mm. felt thwarted the enablement um, with uh, clients, the mm. uh, the ability to be with another in their distress or in their problems and to and to help on that context. And it was about it was about caseload management and it was about um, allocation of time and getting the job done and being mm. risk aware and um, not actually uh, doing what they felt they were educated to do, which was to uh, be there and to enable and to, and and to uh, and to help uh, on mm. a very human level. So do you notice much difference then between the way social workers and mental health nurses see compassion and empathy? Was there any significant differences? There's quite significant differences on the, on, in, the, in, in the realms of compassion um, mm. because um, uh, although it appears in the social work uh, uh, code of uh, ethics, mm. it doesn't necessarily appear, for example, in Baswa's uh, code of practice. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and empathy is a, is, a, is a much stronger disposition or um, or value um, for social work to embrace, uh, mm. certainly in the UK. Um, but social workers themselves, when I spoke to them in the focus groups, they very much um, said that they were compassionate individuals. They were drawn to the they were drawn to um, their field of practice by a sense of wanting to help and to uh, people who mm. um, were were struggling to help themselves. And so it's mm. very much a compassionate place to come from, but very much encouraged to be empathic in their cultural socialisation mm. as uh, trainee social workers and uh, um, as students. Uh, so empathy, a much stronger flavour in social work compared to nursing as a whole, where compassion um, societally, sociopolitically is is an imposition on nursing in some respects. Most people come to nursing because they want to be compassionate um, towards other people um, who are unwell. But um, there is a that, that whole thing around the society doesn't judge nursing care to be excellent, uh, and as, uh, unless it is technically good and compassionate. Yeah. Uh, so, so sociopolitical imperative for nursing to be compassionate. Mm. I make a claim, and it is a claim rather than anything based on hard evidence, that I still think that empathy um, is a a very useful end game uh, as a primary pro-social way of relating in mental health nursing, however. Mm. I can see that Vanessa's come in as well now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things for me, you know, everything you've said tonight resonates, and it's 
subjects that I'm really interested in as well. But one of the things for me, what strikes me when you were talking about social workers is thinking about something that I always think around, and that's about what inhibits um, empathy in terms of repeated exposure to high stress situations. And one of the things I think that where nurses differ from social workers and other professionals um, in terms of working on wards, for example, or working in a prison area, is that they're often there for, you know, seven and a half hours a day, um, continuously responding to incidents, whereas, you know, working in the community or, you know, maybe as a social worker and just seeing somebody for sessions, it's not the same, like, prolonged exposure to stress. And I know when I worked in the prisons, I, you know, saw, um, you know, newly qualified nurses coming in, very empathic and compassionate, and within six months, seeing you know, you know, huge um, mm-hmm. like um, symptoms of burnout, um, disassociation, you know, lack of interest. And mm-hmm. I do think that we need to think more about trauma and how we how we you know respond to that. And I think it links to what Grant was saying about supervision. But it's also more than that. I used to be involved mm-hmm. in debriefing people following suicides and stress, you know, really traumatic incidents. And and I'll always remember, you know, a few things nurses said to me about how they um, they couldn't allow themselves to get emotionally involved when they were exposed to um, trauma following um, having seen suicides and, you know, other Mm. traumatic incidents because they felt Mm. that um, so vulnerable and exposed and fragile. Mm. Um, They also felt that they had to self-protect as well. And mm. so I do think this is something we don't talk about very much in nursing, but I do think it's a it's a real issue and it should be part of the empathy and compassion mm. discussion. So I think about how many times we see senior nurses saying to new starters, don't get too involved. Yeah. And it's almost like you can actually be punished for being empathetic with people. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have boundaries. Of course you should. But I think sometimes when people have had that hurt themselves, they try maybe to overreach when they're trying to protect younger staff yeah. and students. Yeah. Mm. What do you think, Grant? Are you thinking about that? Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot about that. I mean, you know, this is there's lots of there's lots of thoughts. There's the tension around vocation versus profession, which has existed for us in nursing. The idea of skillful self-giving, that phrase, but actually where's the boundary of self? In, in that phrase. There's the tension for me, and the people that follow me on Twitter will know I've got some fairly strong views on resilience um, in terms mm. of a, a concept that moves the stress to the individual rather than making organisational systems bear the stress mm. and burden. And mm. so I think I think uh, Vanessa's absolutely right. So supervision is part of it. I think a wider sort of organisational recognition that the... And, and I'm tempted by the way, sort of sensitivity rather than fragility of individuals is actually something that we should applaud, support, and absolutely in, invest in. Mm. And, and the recognition that it is a very natural defence mechanism when one has been hurt to not be hurt further. Mm. Um, you know that that in and of itself. Um, oh, okay. I'm getting the. You're about to be signed out your computer. Snooze, snooze. Yeah. <laughs> Stay with us, Grant. I, th- I, I, I think it, 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 I think in 14 minutes it's going to do what it likes, whether I like it or not. It's uh, the way with computers. Such as such as the technical world. So so what, what, one of the things in terms of before I get cut off, I definitely want to make sure we talk about is, is <laughs> um, so, some of where where art in humanities. 
plays a role mm. in nurse education with respect to yeah, learning yeah. about empathy and understanding empathy. So mm. in, the, in the team we've had over the, the, the last years, a couple of particularly good projects um, that looked um, at that. So in 2016, we had a project called Seeing Through Another's Eyes, which very much sounds like empathy, doesn't it? And, and we worked together um, with um, a service user who's an artist. And um, she created pieces of work in relation to sort of mental health themes each week through a module. And what we did was we presented the um, nursing students with those pieces of art and just sat with them and said, please send some time looking at this art and wondering what were the thoughts and feelings of the person as they created it. And that idea of just that two word sort of phrase, I wonder, mm. is really what empathy is about. I, I, I sincerely wonder what your world is about. So they would look at the art, they would have some mm. personal reflection, they'd discuss mm. it in a group and then we'd have, a, so we wanted to open up this kind of um, sort of normalising of just wondering about people's lives. Yeah. So that was one, one kind of piece of work we did. And the other is that um, I'm, I'm a big fan of you know, sort of use of comics. And, and we've done, we've released a number of comics around suicide, around nursing and COVID. We're very lucky at University of Dundee because we've got the only professor of comics um, as far as we're aware in the whole world. So we, we, we've done a lot of work with them. And the, and the thing about comic or sequential art is that it gives you the external and the inter internal narrative at the same time. So, you know, you have the speech bubble where you've got someone talking, but then you have the thought bubble where you get another perspective. Mm -hmm. And that, again, was visually was a really good way of helping people understand how, how to think about what's internal and what's external and to you know, use yeah. those mm -hmm. as, a, as a medium of really just trying to kind of almost sort of train in this thought of, I wonder, I just, mm -hmm. I wonder what's going on in this person's life. I wonder how it affects them. I wonder how, it, if it was me, mm -hmm. how it would change me. Mm -hmm. You're sort of talking about yeah. kindliness and, and curiosity at the same time. I was also wondering, you know, for those people who constantly talk about nurse education um, as being like nurses don't need, they just need to be kind. They just need to be kind. So how does how does empathy play into that? Because obviously you're saying empathy is a hugely important skill. So how is it a graduate skill, would you say? Well, that, sounds like, that sounds like Mike's thesis right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, there's there's two ways of, of addressing that particular question. Mm. Um, one is that um, I rail against the concept of um, pro-social relating to other human beings as being a soft skill. I rail yeah. against the concept of care as being low-tech. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's both are extremely, uh, both ways of looking at that are extremely, I, I think, complex uh, and nuanced. And I think... Um, I think you need a, a level of intellectual skill, but of course, uh, or intellectual um, uh, intelligence, but I think you also need a highly attuned sense of emotional intelligence. Now, you can be emotionally intelligent without um, studying a degree, but I think you've got a much better chance mm. uh, of achieving both intellectual capacity um, at that level and emotional capacity at that level if you pursue um, I, I graduate preparation. I also rail against the term training. I, I hate the term nurse training um, because it, um, it suggests a very task-oriented way of educating somebody. And I think the complexity involved in becoming empathically and compassionately able are graduate level skills. Mm. The other rather more linear way of thinking about that is the minute that you say that nurses must be graduates to register in the profession, all new graduates must be 
um, all new registrants must be graduates, um, um, you immediately confer it to being a graduate level skill just in a, in a very linear societal way. As in, in order to be a nurse, um, you have to yeah, um, you have to be a graduate, and if mm. compassion and empathy are part of that skill set, they become graduate attributes by dint of that. Um, the other, the other side um, uh, of of that discussion as well is that uh, um, you know around around uh, being a, a graduate and these skills do exist out with mm. graduate existence um, um, is that they're part of a a marbled or a mosaic pattern of skills, values, and um, knowledge that nurses require. And I think they, um, I'm currently writing something about the hero narrative that's become yes. much more endemic since um, yeah. the, the pandemic has occurred and the angel narrative has reared its head as, again as well. And uh, and one of the things is that I think they simplify and actually denigrate nursing's yeah, complexity. Definitely. And so empathy and compassion, along with other graduate skills, are mm. part of that mosaic of, of complex care, skill and human relating that is absolutely essential in the modern world of nursing for me. Mm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I guess I see the other element of as a, as a graduate attribute around it isn't just about having a sincere desire to be empathic and understand. It's knowing what to do when you get there. That's that, that <laughs> something. So, how to handle that position, how to deal with vicarious mm -hmm. trauma. That you know, Vanessa, mm -hmm. Vanessa's talked about. You know, you know those experiences when I was a you know a CAMS nurse, when mm -hmm. I'm you know sitting with a wee you know sort of an eight year old boy, seeing myself in some of the things he's you know having those in the moment mm -hmm. kind of experiences, kind of epiphanies. And knowing how to deal with that safely. So, yeah, I, you know, com empathy is both not a graduate attribute because everyone can do it, but it's actually mm. when to do it, how to do it, how to recover mm. from it, and where to take it, I guess, is where it becomes more of a graduate skill. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think, think there's something almost around the judicious use of yeah. empathy, as Grant suggests, and there mm. um, um, is, is very much, you know, you knowing what to reach into your nursing toolkit to, to, to select yeah. is it, definitely a highly tuned um, skill. And I, I love the teaching of this because in a class, not only do, do I still learn every time I teach this with Grant, yeah. um, it's great to see that some, some people have a, a keener sense of how to do this almost an innate sense or they've got life yeah. life experience yeah. or life skills that allow them to yeah. be able to access this kind of um, um, skill acquisition more readily. Mm. But it's also great to see the people for whom this is a real challenge. It's the first time they've really thought about it. They've had to deconstruct the way they, li they listen mm. or engage, or they've had to consider themselves and their self-awareness for the first time. And you can see the growth over the... Yeah. Not even over a over a day in class, but certainly over the over the life of their of their time with us, how they develop in that in that respect, and mm -hmm. that's that's really rewarding in itself, just in the way that that empathy can be really rewarding um, for the for the practitioner. Absolutely. Which is which is a wee bit about why you know Mike, Mike and I both share some strong views about sort of the concept of nurse training, even the term student nurse, to be honest. But but it's act, it's actually about our program isn't about only becoming a registered nurse. I mean, there's so much human growth available mm -hmm. 
you know, in a broader sense that I think, mm. you know, you know, people will say, you know, I feel like I'm a better person, not just that I'm now a registered nurse right. with knowledge, but I actually feel like a better person, um, mm. a, you know, a kind of a, 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 a sort of broader kind of um, human than, mm. you know, so, and so, so in mm. terms of it's not just about training, it is about actually having nurses. I mean, one of the reasons I came with this, Nikki, is because I, I like to roll this really controversial line out Particularly with and with colleagues. Well, I feel so. So I, I went from you know being being a, being a band five staff nurse to being a, being a band seven senior charge charge nurse. My nursing mm-hmm. career, I've never once, as a registered nurse, ever administered any medication. I have never taken any vital signs. From being a band five to band seven, I've never done any of that. My entire profession was about relational intervention. It was all about the therapeutic use of self. I haven't really practiced particularly in any other way. And and so for some people that seems like, are you even a nurse? Because you've not done those things, you know? And, that, and that's where I've been, you know, mm. uh, you know on, on my journey is around, what does it mean to be a nurse, mm. actually? Yeah. We'll see if anyone who's watching has anything to say about that. But I can see we've got some questions building up. So I'll just come to Vanessa and see what Vanessa has for us. Yeah, we've got um we've got a few questions. Um I like this one from Alfonso, which is um when we talk about M- yeah, Alfonso's a regular um with the questions, but I think this is really um quite interesting about cultural competence so he says when we talk about empathy and compassion we need to look from a cultural competence perspective as these two words mean different things to different people and when we believe we are being empathic this might not necessarily be perceived as such by service users Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good point so 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 my time in my time in spiritual care probably connects this quite well because uh, oftentimes I wouldn't even use the word spiritual spirituality chaplaincy because of them, those being very loaded terms and it was very much about what what's important to you what brings meaning purpose and value and so I, I absolutely agree with Alfonso about the um, cultural competence I guess fundamentally we could have this whole discussion without you ever using the word empathy and simply, you know, it's a sincere desire to understand what's going on for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm one for trying to simplify things. So I think, yeah, we can we can talk about compassion and empathy, but if we just kind of say, you know, I've, I've got a real strong sense that I want to try and alleviate your distress, and the best way to do that is to really try and listen to your story, see the, pay, mm-hmm. the picture that you're painting of your life experience to this point. Hopefully that would be helpful whatever cultural backgrounds whatever cultural context we're working within yeah I think it can be the same as well um in terms of when somebody's really unwell or somebody you know you work supporting who's got dementia um I know I had like a really profound experience years ago where I got approached by somebody support an acute ward um you know probably 15 years before and um and she came up to me in the street and recognized me and said um I remember you because even though you had to stop me from leaving you were always kind to me and you always talked to me because we were similar age so she said you always talked to me about things like you know fashion and you know books and things that were really human and she remembered that and I remember that she was very, very unwell at the time. And it's interesting that what she remembered from that encounter was about empathy, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think it's quite similar, isn't it, with working with someone de- with dementia. They might not remember 
um, between interactions, but often they remember how you, you know, you've made somebody feel um, and, and, you know, you're able to leave that with a place of empathy as well and compassion. Mm. Mm, definitely. Um, We've got a few more questions yeah, left to go, haven't we? And, um, yeah, so we've got, yeah, um, we've got another one from Alfonso. Um, let me just read it. We, all, we almost believe that empathy is embedded in our profession and our teaching reflects this. But really, are we teaching our future nurses and social workers to nurture their empathy and compassionate skills? And his question is, what tips and advice would you give to nurse educators mm -hmm. to make sure that empathy and compassion are threaded through the curriculum? So there you go. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. And I think he, he, he begins to answer his question immediately by saying threaded through the curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, the concept of teaching empathy in an afternoon or compassion in a lecture um, it's really the focus of, of my own work um, mm -hmm. it, it was that to, to show that that probably doesn't work and that people don't believe that that works. There mm -hmm. is good evidence that a, a coalition of approaches and done over time and not only about focusing on the individual practitioner or student, but focusing on the teams in which they function, mm -hmm. the culture in which, in which that team operates and indeed the organisational support and celebration and the courage to embrace empathy and compassion all have to be in place in order for compassion and empathy to be nurtured over time. Um, some good evidence in the social work literature around that, that a self-compassionate social worker is more likely to be able to express fellow feeling for, for, for clients um, because they're in a better place, because they have yeah. good self healthy self-regard for themselves it's not selfish it's selfish in the right way it's about selfish mm. in order to function at, at, mm. the, at the best but that's not enough if the team doesn't celebrate um the, um, uh, the ability to to relate to people and to care for people and uh, that's the same for our students so in that respect that threading through a curriculum is really important, but it also needs to be threaded through placement, which is very important. It's 50% of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, you know, learning doesn't end and it's just mm -hmm. working. And it's one of the things I don't like, I'm going to work. No, you're going to learn. You're going to placement to learn. You do you do undertake tasks and you do work when you're there, but you learn mm -hmm. when you're there or you ought to learn when you're there. And that's part of that marbling through. And I think the big thing that we do miss in a very busy and highly pressured world, NHS could take take. Uh, uh, a dunt for this, but it's not just the NHS, it's wherever arenas of care are pressured, um, mm. is that the, the organisation themselves ha has ceased to be as compassionate as it used to be or ought to be. Uh, and that's for a really sure. important way of nurturing empathy and compassion and that celebration of these as valuable uh, attributes to hold educationally and clinically. Mm. Definitely, mm. definitely. Yeah, agree with all that. Yeah, um, we've got um, we've got a comment here um, agreeing with Grant and Mike talking about um, first placement and um, empathy and compassion. Interestingly, making the comment again about how empathy and compassion can burn you out slowly if you're not careful enough to recharge yourself, um, which I think is important. We've got um, Brené Brown um, quoted here. Um, important to note the power of vulnerability. I agree, in the context of empathy, 
in the ability to convey it and experience it. Um, and I think, yeah, we've got a comment about empathy and authenticity, which I think we've touched on, haven't we, as well, which I think is really important. So any any thoughts on any of those? I think the authenticity relates very much to the statement Grant made about acceptance mm -hmm. um, and about um, being suspicious about the concept of being non-judgmental and uh, that seems to be a, a commonly um, uh, bandied term uh, in literature and in the conversation. Um, but if you really deconstruct it, as Grant said, I think that, that, that I think that, some, that it'd be inauthentic mm -hmm. to suggest that you um, that you're totally non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. The other thing, just harking back to what Alfonso said, the point Grant addressed, I, I think what's really important uh, within that, that within what he asked, is that um, there is a semantic element to this that maybe doesn't transfer so well over some cultures. And we know that the word compassion, for example, um, doesn't exist in French like it does in English. The French word for compassion is pitié. Um, and uh, there's, there's actually somebody called Gladkova uh, unpacked the concept that compassion and empathy as pro-social behaviours sometimes have the same term or a similar term in other languages. So we get into that this is an English semantic um, uh, construction or set of constructions um, and so there's a caution around that, which reflects the, the cultural competence uh, angle of Alfonso's question. And the, the other is that empathy in particular um, has a, a resonance with a, a Western world humanistic school um, uh, that may not be so readily transferable um, across the wider world, but in the developed world, we make that assumption that em empathy um, means the same thing to everybody. And mm, also, in yeah. some, some textbooks uh, um, are, are, are talking about how empathy has been used as a bit of a punchline in public life. Um, apparently, they, they, they pick mm. up on how uh, Barack Obama used the word empathy a lot. Um, and they said well, what he was actually talking about was rational compassion, mm. Paul Bloom's book. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and 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 he makes a case for what he's saying. What, what Barack Obama was talking about: societal, rational compassion, and not empathy. But we use the word empathy, um, and, and we we kind of chuck it around in modern life. Um, mm -hmm. And I have to say, before mm -hmm. I was a nurse, I hadn't even heard the word empathy um, thirty plus years ago. Um, it's it's certainly a word that's it's it's become much more part of the everyday lexicon of life. Uh, in our society. So mm -hmm. there's definitely a, a, a cultural caution there uh, to mm -hmm. have back to that. Mm -hmm. We're actually yeah. almost 40 minutes in, so we're going to be getting ready to round up in a bit. But I think if Vanessa could just round up any of the last questions, that would be yeah, a really thing. Because um, we've got I mean, some... A lot and also hello to the students that are watching as well. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we've had... Um, what's interesting is we've had a lot of questions tonight, and I think that this seems to have chimed with a lot of people, which is great. Um, looking through a lot of the questions, a lot of the things are, are the themes that we've been covering about burnout, resilience, supervision, um, you know, looking after yourself. One of the um, questions that we what we haven't talked about that I think is quite interesting, although we touched on it when we talked about Francis, was whether it's possible to develop organisational empathy. Um, so I thought that was quite an interesting question. If you've got any thoughts on that one. So uh, hopefully I've returned and everyone can see and hear me 
Yeah, yeah IT welcome problems back. <laughs> such as the burden. I hope everyone can be a wee bit uh, empathetic towards my <laughs> IT problems. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, I love. I love it, it's tough, isn't it? Because I almost said I love the idea of organisational empathy, but it's a very human thing when when people come up with excellent um, solutions to their problems that then the large organisations take over. We've seen that in recovery. We've seen that in resilience. You know, those those where, where, where it's, the organisational application of it almost takes away um, from it. So the idea that an organisation is really interested in evidences that's interested in its employees would be for me, you know, that, that would be what organisational empathy would, would look like. So yes, you know, it would be consultation, it would be 360 degree consultation with who we work with, but it's about the, the evidence that comes afterwards isn't it about how changes are made as a result of the understanding and i guess mm -hmm. that's whether that's one-to-one -one, that's what we're talking about in empathic encounter is about what changes as a result of having a deeper understanding and connection to each other at an organizational level how does the organization then change if it has a deeper understanding and connection to the people that it supports mm -hmm. Yeah. The, 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 one, the one thing I did want to kind of really, really bring in about the sort of just the phrase empathy as an intervention is, you know, it's very easy to see the social and psychological aspects of that intervention, but it's more profound than that. It's, it is physiological as well. You know, if we look at sort of the science around psychoneuroimmunology, if we look around epigenetics, even developmental trauma, which is really my background in child development, we know that physiologically we are influenced and changed by the sort of social ecology we find ourselves within. And so I think, you know, we don't necessarily see that change. I've got a brilliant quote from Susan Pinker who talks about, you know, giving someone a high five is enough to release oxytocin. Just a high five, you know, changes us, releases that hormone in and of itself. So this, as well as being a psychosocial concept, is really actually a biopsychosocial context that therefore has a profound ability to change everyone involved in the interaction. Mm. Mm, definitely. So I suppose the other thing I th I like to think about is the, is the change it can create. I talked about the change you can see in students as they progress, particularly the ones who've come from a perhaps a lower base of awareness or skill um, uh, at the start of this. And what I, what I like about um, em embedding a concept of empathy um, uh, with, with students is how malleable, how adaptable they become to access a range of other, a range of other helping strategies with people. Um, because mm. tuning people in to actively listen and to feedback accurately, mm. um, that, 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 that is obviously so the, the basis of so many um, mm. psychological and um, um, therapeutic approaches. Mm. So I think it really can make um, students very much more adaptable in a mm. therapeutic and communication sense. And it, and it also really reinforces the place of uh, phatic communication. You know, we call it small talk. Mm. I think it, it really betrays the power of phatic communication in terms of having non-pathologically based conversation, having strengths-based conversation, being an interested human being mm. and another human being. In fact, this week, Mike and I, our, uh, our first year mental health field module for our, our 2020 cohort was launched and we shared, you know, a young quote with them, which was master, you know, all the techniques, know all the strategies, but when you connect to a human soul, just be a human soul. Mm. Yeah. Mm, definitely.
Definitely. And it's interesting because a lot of the language, you're right, it's really embedded. It's like soft skills, small talk. It, yeah. None of it is. It, it speaks of high level, but it, it's really essential to who we are as human beings. I think yeah. that's it. Thank you very much, everyone, by the way, who's um, asked questions and things like that. So if there's anything that we haven't got around to, we'll try and um, speak to you either through Twitter or Facebook Live. We'll come back to that. But I think maybe we'll just go around everyone and see if there's any last last ideas that people want to bring forward. So I'll, I'll come to Vanessa first. Is there anything that you want to leave people with? Yeah, no, um, for me, it's um, it's been great how much discussion there's been mm. on, um, on Facebook and Twitter tonight. And it's obviously a topic that's really resonated with people. And I'm really glad that we've covered it because I think that, you know, we don't talk enough about it. And, and as Nikki's just said, it gets called a soft skill, but it's not mm. really a soft skill, is it? It's one of the most complex skills and the most mm. powerful skills that we've got as mental health nurses. So I think um, just to say thank you to our guests and that it's a really kind of profoundly important topic, isn't it, to be discussing. And I think it's interesting how it weaves into some of the other discussions that we've had on here, um, particularly, you know, the discussions we've had about trauma and resilience um, early on and some of the stuff we've just talked about, about system kind of resilience and system empathy and things I think it would be good to perhaps come back to those things as well and uh you know later mm. it. so yeah just found it really interesting so thank you both and what about you Mike is there anything that you wanted to to add just finally um you know the whole notion of relating to another human being creates an emotional intensity and we use the word intense to mean something that's kind of heavy as I suppose in the 1970s kind of word but in this case intensity meaning something intense as in engaged and really packed with potential for something good to happen obviously undischarged emotional intensity might result in things or erroneously discharged emotional intensity might result in things like moral distress or burnout or compassion fatigue but actually when it's channeled it's obviously gives that reward back to the the practitioner and when it's celebrated amongst the team when there's a wraparound culture it really becomes almost self-fulfilling and it regenerates itself mm. and so there's really something about recognizing that emotional intensity needs to be used productively but that it's also culturally supported and I think that's a, an important takeaway message when we think about yeah. um, threading through a curriculum or threading through um, professional practice. Mm, absolutely. How about you Grant, what do you think? Well I, I was thinking about the Phil Barker quote that I really love which is mm. uh, uh, humility and professionalism live at opposite ends of the street and I think empathy is actually that, that humility is a value we don't talk about in healthcare. And actually, it's the key aspect for me in empathy, because if I have a sincere desire to understand you, that's because I recognise I don't know you. I don't know your story yeah. and I don't know best, most importantly. So approach and empathy has to be for me about championing um, humility as a professional value within us. And it's absolutely, it's not just okay not to know, it's the best thing not to know because you offer the space and the expertise and the value and the empowerment to the person you're there to be with. Mm. I yeah. love that. Love that. Mm. Much missed Phil Barker's inputs, I think. I, I'm yeah. digging out all my old title model stuff when we finished up. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Pfeiffer like me. I, I saw him uh, recently, in, uh, well, not recently, goodness, it'd be over a year now, I guess, because of lockdown. Mm. I saw him in a local shop just about a year and a half ago. <laughs> Still in the red clogs. Still in the red clogs. 
Yep. And I, I had I had a, an email exchange with him um, around the time that uh, I finished my thesis. I, um, um, he's a, now an artist. He, he uses his mother's maiden name as his art name, uh, Phil McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he posted some art around just around a, an, e, an email network that he had. And um, we ended up in a in a discussion about his art. But there was for me there was a um, a lot of the themes that we we, we got to know Phil, mm-hmm. uh, his humanity, his his fusion of Celtic and Eastern philosophy, yeah. um, his, uh, despite the, the, the complex uh, conceptual thinking that he had, um, his whole notion that life was about relationship, that humility thing about how can I be useful to you? And, that yeah. is, and a lot of these themes mm-hmm. are reflected in the art that he does. Um, and uh, and so we had a, an email exchange uh, at, at that time. And so he, he's, his, his mind is as vibrant as ever. Good. I tell you, he was a massive influence on me when I was a baby nurse. Mm. So I'm really pleased to hear that. Mm. Um, Dave sent me a couple of messages, by the way, people. Yes. So equally well, mm. have published a short guide. Um, uh, we'll be putting, we'll put, we'll just post it straight into the messages. Um, Public Health England have um, released a new online training course for psychological first aid, and um, there's a lot of information there. And um, NHS England has expanded their mental health support for staff. So that's something really to, to notice. Um, toughest year in health service history. So there's a lot of information there and we'll be sharing that. Um, next week, uh, this might be one for you, Gwen, you might find this interesting. We've got um, we've got Asylum coming on, who are fantastic. So Absolutely. mental health, yeah, uh, radical mental health uh, zines. So yep. you'll like that. Uh, we've got Helen Spandler, Jill Anderson, and um, Tamsin Walker coming on, which would be so exciting. So hopefully we'll be able to tweet out some amazing art there and kind of almost follow on from what we've been discussing. But I just want to say thank you so much to our guests and the people who uh, were watching. Really, mm. really appreciate that. Uh, and I guess that just remains for us to say good night. Good night, guys. Take care. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>